Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us a Friday before eh, one of the biggest games that Jacksonville has seen in the month of December in quite some time as the Dallas Cowboys roll in on Sunday. Of course, pregame coverage right here on 1010XL at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. That'll lead you into the game broadcast, the post game, and then we will have the fifth quarter beginning right around 6 o'clock. So you're talking about 12 hours, roughly, of Jaguar coverage on Sunday. And uh, a situation where the Jaguars and the Dallas Cowboys, one of the marquee games in the National Football League on Sunday, we will certainly spend a lot of time on that. The Florida Gators have a bowl game tomorrow. Yeah, a bowl game for Florida tomorrow, 2.30. That is an 11.30 a.m. local kick in Las Vegas, Oregon State, and the Gators. We will certainly talk about that as well. Guest lineup looks like this. In about 20 minutes, Leon Searcy. You hear him on XL Primetime. You get him here weekly on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk Jags. We'll talk Trevor Lawrence. And we'll look ahead to the Jaguars and the Cowboys. I can tell you there's not a lot of people that hate the Dallas Cowboys as much as Leon Searcy does. So it'll be annoying as hell. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be a good conversation about Dallas with Leon Searcy coming up in about 20 minutes. Coming up in about 45 minutes or so, readandreaction.com. Will Miles, you also see him and hear him on the Gators Breakdown podcast as we'll look ahead to Florida and Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl tomorrow. In the 9 o'clock hour, longtime NFL writer Jason Cole. We'll stop by as we'll preview again the Jags, Trevor Lawrence. Look around the AFC South. If it doesn't happen this year, and this is something I'm going to get to in a moment, they're two back with four to go. If it doesn't happen this year with what's going on in Houston, Indianapolis, and Tennessee, future is unbelievably bright in Jacksonville. The present may not be. But the future certainly is. So we'll talk about all of that with Jason Cole. And then finally, at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, you know, a lot of people, now that college football is beginning to wind down, the NFL, you got four regular season Sundays left. I know usually around Christmas or New Year's, some folks will begin shifting their attention or at least more of their attention to the NBA. We're two months in. Teams are already at like the 30-game mark. Like the Orlando Magic are 30 games in. After tonight, that's just shy of halfway. So we'll talk with Sean Devaney, longtime NBA writer for Heavy.com. We'll talk LeBron and the Lakers. We'll talk about all the big situations going on. The Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry with an injury now. So there's a lot to do with the NBA. And we'll do that with Sean Devaney coming up later on this evening. But as we always do, to kick off Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. 
You know, we've analyzed this game about as many ways as you can analyze it, and we'll continue to do it tonight. Leon Searcy coming up, Jason Cole coming up over the next two hours. And when the Dallas Cowboys come in here on Sunday for the first time in 16 years, again, it's been since 2006 that Dallas has paid a visit to Jacksonville to play a football game, it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for a lot of things for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's look at the opportunities. It's an opportunity to put back-to-back games together. We've been here many times, many times. 2020 opening day, beat Indianapolis. Next week, you lose a heartbreaker to Tennessee. Last year, Miami and London, you won a great game. You turn around and lose the next week. Then you beat Buffalo. You turn around and lose the next week. Now, earlier this year, they did put back-to-back games together. They beat the Colts. They beat what I would call a wounded Charger team, but they showed they can do it. But the thing that gives me a lot of pause is what happened in Detroit. You're coming off of that big Baltimore win. Everybody's telling you how great you are. There's unbelievable excitement in the city. People are fired up. And you go to Detroit and you lay an egg. You lay an absolute egg. Now, I do not expect Jacksonville to lay an egg again. I do not expect that to happen again. If it does, that's a problem. That's a problem. That means they don't know how to handle success. But for the second time in three weeks, you have the opportunity to string back-to-back games together and to keep your postseason hopes alive. This is what we all wanted. As I've said the entire week, if you've listened to me here on Hacker After Dark, make the checklist. Go back to you as a Jaguar fan Labor Day weekend coming into this season. And if I were to tell you that on December the 18th, (coughs) excuse me, when the Dallas Cowboys roll in here, you will still be alive for a playoff spot. The P word, playoffs. Exactly. You will still be alive for a division championship. You will still be in the conversation nationally. You're playing games that matter in the month of December. (coughs) And you have beaten Baltimore and Tennessee in the last couple of weeks. You would have taken all that. You found your generational, albeit generational in the last couple of weeks. Regardless of that word, you found your franchise quarterback. Trevor is most certainly that. The free agents are contributing. Travis Etienne will more than likely be a 1,000-yard rusher. How many check marks are you putting on that list that you wanted on Labor Day? Just get me in the hunt, right? Wasn't that the mantra? (coughs) Just get me in the hunt. Let me be on the graphic. Let's see that Jaguar logo on the graphic in the AFC playoff picture. It's there. It's there in the month of December for the first time in five years. It's there. You just went to Nashville and won a game for the first time in nine years. Things are going unbelievably well. Unbelievably well. Even though you're five and eight. And that's something I that I think, because <clears throat> I got a lot of texts about this last night. And earlier this week, primarily, I think on Wednesday, actually, come to think of it, I got a lot of texts and Facebook messages and whatnot. 
I didn't realize people still did, still did Facebook messages, Denmark, but they do. Email too? <clears throat> uh, no, I think I got one or two emails. I got probably a half dozen Man, you're Facebook pretty, messages. Pretty popular. Uh, I like to think so. I like to think I'm a big deal. I don't know if you've heard that before. <clears throat> kind of a big deal. Um, I'm not saying five and eight's a success. What I'm saying is they're checking boxes that you, the Jaguar fan, wanted. Get me in the hunt. Check. Is Trevor the franchise guy? Yes, he is. Check. <clears throat> we spent all this money on free agents. Are they going to contribute? Well, they have. Check. <clears throat> is Doug Peterson night and day than Urban Meyer? Yeah, he is. Check. You know, there's still some boxes unchecked. Josh Allen has not had the year we wanted. Trayvon Walker has not had the year we wanted. Devin Lloyd, quite frankly, hasn't had the year we wanted. So it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And five and eight's five and eight. I mean, you've played 13 games, you've lost eight of them. But the AFC South is so bad and so terrible that you're still alive. You're two back with four to go, but you're still alive. And again, what happens in the next four weeks, this goes into the future comment. And I'm going to talk about this with Jason Cole coming up in just a bit. This goes into the future of the AFC South. The Jaguars are two back with four to go. The odds of them winning the division in 2022 are not very good. The odds of Jacksonville winning the division this year are pretty slim, actually. I mean, if you're down two with four to go, you need to minimum go three and one. And Tennessee can't go any better than two and two. So it's still a tall order. But to me, if Tennessee still wins the division, that should not be looked at as a disappointing season. I bet all those things you put check marks on on Labor Day, not one of you, if you're being real with me, said you thought the Jaguars were going to win the division in 2022. I haven't talked to one person that expected Jacksonville to win the division this year. We wanted to see progress, right? There's that word, progress. Well, you've seen progress. Look, you can be as negative a Jaguar fan as you want. You can say, well, they're 5-8 and eight and they can't win close games. <clears throat> yada, yada, yada. There is no doubt, though, that the progress that has been shown on this team, they are night and day better than what they've been. And the fact that on December the 18th, they're playing in a game that has playoff implications is proof of that. So if things don't go the Jaguars' way over the next four weeks, and if Tennessee holds on to win this division, which I would probably expect them to at this point, that can change. But as we're talking right now, I would probably expect Tennessee to win the division. That certainly doesn't mean this is a disappointing season. Because the Jaguars are in the conversation, man. They're in the thick of it, just like you wanted them to be. Enter the Dallas Cowboys. Isn't this fun that on a Friday in the month of December, there is excitement in this city? There is genuine anticipation in this city once again for an NFL football game at TIAA Bank Field. It's been a long time. You know, 2019, 2020, 2021, heck, go back to 2018. Games in December, we were playing out the stretch, man. Talking draft. Not right now. 
Heck, the draft will be here at the snap of a finger this year. Usually by now, we're two months into draft talk. We've been able to do a little bit of it. I actually thought it was draft talk season when they lost to Denver and London. They proved me wrong. The way they've come back after the bye, two and one with wins over Baltimore and Tennessee. Are you kidding? It's been fantastic. Yeah, they had the stinker in Detroit in there, but whatever. We get to find out on Sunday if this team is taking another step. There's no shame in losing to the Dallas Cowboys. They're 10-3. and three. They're a Super Bowl contender, if not favorite, in the National Football Conference. They are supposed to win this game. Quite frankly, they should win this game. If you look at the roster, they have better players overall than the Jacksonville Jaguars. But can Jacksonville go out there and not only be competitive, but make it a ball game in the fourth quarter? Do the opposite of what happened in Detroit. And if you do that, kind of like you did with Baltimore, maybe you find a way to win the game in the fourth quarter. Jacksonville can absolutely win the game. They can. Should they? Probably not. But I'm not saying there's no chance. I mean, look, there's no shame in saying Dallas is better. They are. They got Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott and CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons. You know, Demarcus Lawrence, Dalton Schultz. A damn good team. But Jacksonville's beaten some really good teams. Primarily Baltimore and Tennessee in the last three weeks. I just love the fact that here we are in mid-December, Christmas, a week from Sunday, and there is a huge football game in this city. If the best-case scenario happens and Jacksonville beats Dallas on Sunday and Tennessee loses at L.A., oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that fifth quarter on Sunday night? The Jaguars would then control their destiny with three games to go for a division title. Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah. And I don't want to poo-poo that notion. And I know I said this when the Titans played Philadelphia, and it blew up in my face because Philly crushed them. That was the A.J. Brown revenge game, I believe. And maybe it's that logo. Maybe it's that jersey. But don't you just get the sense that Tennessee is going to go to L.A. and win that game? Yes. Right. Denmark, so I'm not the only one. Yeah, I, it's only a three-point favorite. The Chargers are only a three-point favorite, and I think Tennessee has some of those dudes coming back. I've just week. had a sinking feeling all week that Tennessee is going to win that game. Now, if Jacksonville beats Dallas, Jacksonville would still be alive. The absolute worst-case scenario, Jacksonville loses to Dallas, Tennessee wins, and then I think at that point it would take Tennessee going 0-3 and Jacksonville going 3-0. So they won't be eliminated regardless, but clearly that's the worst-case scenario. And again, the Tennessee Titans have been awful the last three weeks, just awful. And maybe I'm looking at that logo and maybe I'm thinking too much about Steve McNair and Eddie George, and Kevin Dyson, and Derek Mason, and Derek Henry, and and all the great Titans they've had, Keith Bullock, etc. But I just got a bad feeling that this is one of those Titan games where you don't expect them to win, 
and they circle the wagons, and for some reason they go out there and they win a 1917 slugfest in L.A. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But regardless, the Jaguars need to take care of business here. They have a tall order in playing the Dallas Cowboys. Let's talk Jaguars and Cowboys with Leon Searcy. You hear him on XL Primetime. You get him with me on the fifth quarter, Sunday evenings, and he's always kind enough to join us here weekly on Hacker After Dark. It is a Friday night in the city of Jacksonville with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Leon Searcy talking Jags and Cowboys. That's next here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Cowboys Sunday. 1 o'clock, TIAA Bank Field, one of the biggest December games we've had around here in quite some time. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing in big football games in the month of December. That, of course, is Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how we doing? Doing great, bro. Leon, it's a big game on Sunday, certainly, and we'll get into it. But my goodness, what a win over the Titans, you've had a couple of days to reflect back. Leon, what do you think that win, the performance by Trevor Lawrence, everything that happened last Sunday, what does this do for this team moving forward? Well, I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on the team moving forward, to be quite honest with you, because, I mean, if you could play that way last week against the Titans, then we expect nothing less than that when you play against the Cowboys this upcoming Sunday. I mean, what they did last week is they they got they got pressure, they created turnovers, and they capitalized on the turnovers. And Trevor Lawrence was simply sensational. I mean, we had we had we couldn't run the ball effectively. So Trevor Lawrence said, "Listen, I'm gonna put this team on my back, and I'm gonna go take us to the promised land." And he did some of the throws that he made, uh, the accuracy going through the progression, the touch passes. Um, the offensive line did outstanding the job protection wise. I mean, he was he was he was harassed, but none of the none of the uh, defenders got home. Uh, the receivers were catching balls, toe touches, uh, back shoulder fades, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, Trevor had an outstanding game. I mean, we're watching the generational quarterback play to his level right before our eyes. Uh, and that's what. And, and the lot's expected to Trevor now. I mean, once you give us that kind of performance, Trevor, that's what we expect from you week in and week out from everybody. I mean, so the pressure's on the team to see if can they comply to excellence or will they uh, fall short and, 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 and continue uh, to play mediocre. I mean, you had to, listen, you had to come out and play the way you played because of what you gave us against Detroit. So that was a good response by the team. So now, uh, what America's team, so-called, coming in town, can you raise that level to another level and get a win on Sunday? 
Leon, I look at Trevor's confidence level, you know, his on-field demeanor, even kind of the attitude that he showed last week in Nashville, the moxie, if you will. We didn't see that in September and October. How does that change throughout the course of a year for a player? He looks he looks more confident, Leon. Yeah, he does. You know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence uh, understands um, – uh, What's, what's expected out of him to raise the bar to everybody else. I mean, uh, when, when you when you plan the way Trevor is playing with the success that he's having, you can demand more from your team and your teammates because you're playing so well. Uh, Trevor had, had issues last year because he wasn't playing well. So he couldn't expect everybody else to comply when he had, if he's not playing well, but if you're playing the way that Trevor Lawrence is playing now, you could demand more from your teammates, uh, your wide receivers, your tight ends, your running back, your offensive line to protect. Hell, even your defense to get pressures and get turnovers and get sacks, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, as long as he's playing well, uh, he could demand more out of his team and and, and take that leadership role uh, that he's that he's taking over uh, this this season. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I want to get into the passing game in a moment, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows. They, they're they not running the ball very well. And I don't know if that's a Travis Etienne problem, if that's an offensive line problem. You tell me because the running game, they're going to have to run to win some of these games down the stretch. And it's not been good the last couple of weeks. Well, no, it hasn't. It hasn't been good the last couple of weeks. But you got to remember also the defensive line or the other team gets paid. I mean, they get checks in the mail as well. So, um, and they've played two formidable defensive fronts, especially at Tennessee Titans. Uh, guys interiorly, they're, they're pretty darn physical. And I think the struggle has a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, uh, Shatley and, and, and uh, Fortner and uh, Sheriff, just haven't been playing that well interiorly. I mean, the basis of your run game is those three guys right there and uh, uh, your ability to control the one, the three, and the middle linebacker. And they just haven't uh, done a four. They haven't done a. Uh, uh, they haven't done an adequate job and making that happen. They had a lot of struggles uh, last week, the last two weeks. But if we're going to be able to go to where we need to go as a team uh, to be a, a potential contender. You got you can't be one dimensional because uh, sooner or later the coordinator is going to understand uh, they're going to pick up on some of your concepts. The only way you can hold those concepts, uh, uh, the only way you can, be, you, only way you can can indulge on those concepts is your ability to run the football. Uh, if you watch some of those plays that Trevor is running, a lot of those plays that he's making is awful play action, uh, which is which is daunting. But, because of the fact we haven't been able to run the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we're going to do a little better job collectively, uh, offensive line-wise, of, of getting after uh, this Cowboys team, which is another good defensive front that can stop the run and get after the passer. So uh, we got to establish some kind of stability in our play calling and in our run game if we're going to uh, make some hay uh, this upcoming December. Well, look, and by no means am I saying this is Jimmy Smith Keenan McCardell and Kyle Brady because it's clearly not. But Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram, because the running game has not been working, the passing game has been. You're talking 188 grabs, 2,077 yards, 
and 13 touchdowns between those three guys, all in year number one here in Jacksonville, including Evan Ingram, 11 for a buck 62 and two touchdowns last week. So even though the running game has struggled, Leon, the passing game, at least last week, has begun flourishing. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean by Trevor said, put this on my back. He understood going into that game that we were struggling with uh, the run, the, the ability to run the ball. So Trevor said, listen, I'm, we're going to make these passes. We're going to make these third down conversions. We're going to score these touchdowns. Uh, so he's had to take a blunt of the responsibility of the offense, and he still had, he still was sensational. I mean, he threw for oh, 380 some yards. I mean, he was 71, oh, uh, over 110 uh, quarterback rating. I mean, so Trevor's playing some outstanding uh, football right now. And uh, I believe it or not, I think he wants that pressure on him. Over the last over the last five games, I believe he's ten and zero when it comes to the uh, touchdown to interception ratio, and if he can, can if he can t- continue that trend, uh, these next four ball games are going to be very very interesting. All right, Leon, Jawan Taylor and Cam Robinson have two tall orders ahead of them, named Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, how do you go about blocking Lawrence and Parsons, who are both very very good? Well, uh, uh, Cam Robinson, this is the reason why we paid you the big money. We, we paid you the elite money, the elite tackle money, to get to be, be in these kind of situations where you protect the franchise player's backside. No excuses. I don't want any hits. I don't want any pressures. I don't want any sacks. That's why you got paid 16 million a year uh, to be an elite player. So you've got to play like Jawan Taylor. Uh, if you want to make the elite money, uh, you want this opportunity to go up against Michael Parsons. You want to shut him down. You want to give up no pressures, no sacks, no hits on the quarterback. That's how you get paid. Maybe not here in Jacksonville, but maybe somewhere else. You get paid somewhere else because they're going to pop on the film. They're going to say, okay, let me look at Jawan Taylor. Uh, let, me look at, let, let me look at good on great. And if good on great and you win, that's how you get paid. So, the, I mean – these two guys have got a lot to play for uh, this upcoming Sunday uh, to legitimize their stature or their financial stature uh, moving forward. Final moments here with former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. All right, Leon, an overwhelming majority of the Jaguars played big-time college football, so they've played in big-time atmospheres. <clears throat> but from the NFL point of view, other than Cam Robinson – maybe Dewan Smoot, anybody else that was in Foxborough in 2017 for the AFC Championship game, this arguably is the biggest game for most of these Jaguars, at least in a Jaguar uniform. Dallas hasn't been here in 16 years. There will be thousands of Cowboy fans there. It's one of the national 1 o'clock games, and it's a big game for both teams. Dallas needs to win, certainly Jacksonville needs to win for a young football team like this that has not played at least in the NFL in a lot of these environments what advice would you give don't 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 overthink it um have fun prepare to win um look forward to a physical battle um embrace your hate for the Cowboys uh and make it be a fun-filled Sunday. Listen, this, this is the kind of game that you just don't overthink. You got America's team coming in town to play you. 
your 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 home dogs, and just go out there and let it go. I mean, listen, you're playing with house money. There's not there's eighty percent of listen, ninety percent of America is is counting you out of this game. There's nobody outside the 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 corridors of Duval County that believes you can beat the Dallas Cowboys. So you might as well go out there and have a hell of a time uh, making some plays, throwing some touchdowns, and getting some interceptions. If you pull this victory off right now, uh, the national pundits are going to be on Jacksonville like like uh, uh, a, a snowstorm on the paper. Uh, why don't it's going to be on you like white on rice and a snowstorm in the paper plate? That, uh, everybody, all the attention is going to be drawn to Jacksonville. That means you'll be six and eight. You're probably more than likely to be one one game out of the division uh, because Tennessee Titans will probably lose to the Chargers. Uh, whoever they play this week, I believe it's the Chargers. Uh, and now you make now you make now you make the next three games interesting. So just go out there and have fun, have a good time, um, feed off the fans' energies, and see what see what happens. Give yourself, I always say, give yourself a, a puncher's chance in the fourth quarter and see what happens. Yeah, if they if the Jaguars beat Dallas, and you're right, if Tennessee loses in L.A., Jacksonville would then control their own destiny for a division championship with three weeks to go. All right, you've been spot on with a lot of these predictions as of late. What do you think, Jacksonville and Dallas, Sunday at 1 o'clock? Heck, I got the Jaguars winning. Wow, wow. I got the Jaguars winning at 24 to 16. And you know what? I was talking to a guy in Dallas, and I'm not sure I disagree with you. I haven't made my pick yet. But I'm just curious your thoughts and, and final thought here from you. He was talking about a lot of teams that have played Dallas have done a lot of finesse stuff. You know, they're the big bad bully. He's not sure how many times they've been punched in the mouth. And if you're Jacksonville, I think that's what you got to try to do. You know, I know they're big and tough and bad and all that, but you're not going to run around these guys. You're not going to out-talent them down the field. I mean, they got a lot of talent. You line up and you bust them in the mouth and you see how they like it in the first quarter, and maybe by the fourth quarter they won't be near as interested. Absolutely. I, that, that's the recipe to play the Cowboys. Because most of the times when teams play against the Cowboys, they're in awe of the name and the, and the, uh, and the likeness and the, and the star-studded roster that they, that they hold. You, you, can't, you gotta ignore all that. You've just gotta go out there and play fist-on-fist football a bully ball against the Cowboys, and then you'll see how they react to it. Regardless of what happens, Leon, myself, and head coach Dave Campa will have the fifth quarter for you on Sunday, two hours after the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Leon, always appreciate you, man. Have a great rest of the week. I'll talk to you Sunday evening. Sounds good, bro. There you go. <clears throat> Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. He likes Jacksonville, and uh, we'll see. Look, I, I know a lot of people – that are picking Jacksonville locally, not the case nationally. Although we, I, what I love is, well, the Jaguars are going to be close. The Cowboys have to be on upset alert, right? They got to be on upset watch. Yet none of the national pundits, if you will, are picking Jacksonville. I'm going back and forth. I, I really am. I think it could go either way. I don't think this is a Detroit scenario. I don't think Jacksonville gets boat raced. Absolutely not. But I am not naive to the fact that Dallas has more talent. And you got to remember something, too. Dallas needs to win this game. They play Philadelphia next week in a game that could be enormous 
Dallas also would clinch a playoff spot with a win on Sunday. So as much as the Jaguars are playing for and hoping to keep hope alive, Dallas has an awful lot to play for as well. So it's two teams that really, really want to win on Sunday. Another team that probably wants to win tomorrow in the college ranks is the Florida Gators. The Las Vegas Bowl tomorrow, Oregon State and Florida in the final game for year number one of Billy Napier's tenure at the University of Florida, Jack Miller, the starting quarterback for the Gators against the 15th-ranked Oregon State Beavers. Denmark, is this still a 10, 10.5-point line for Oregon State? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, look, the Gators are without so many guys tomorrow. And plus, Oregon State, by the way, is also a very good football team. One team is ranked in the top 15 in America, coming off a big rivalry win over Oregon. The other team is 6-6 six and six and lost to Vanderbilt within, it, the, yeah, within the last month. So there's a lot riding for Oregon State that appears this game is going to go in their favor. We'll see. That's why they play the games. I am going to be very interested to see uh, Florida in the first quarter. Do they look interested? Do they want to be there? Do they come out with some fire being minus so many guys, including, of course, Anthony Richardson, Will Miles, readandreaction.com. You also see him on the Gators Breakdown podcast. Let's talk Florida. Let's talk Oregon State. Let's talk a little recruiting as well. Remember, the December signing period is next Wednesday. It's right around the corner. We'll do all that. Will Miles, readandreaction.com, next on Hacker After Dark. We found the computer outlet, sir. Plug in. New static. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Florida and Oregon State on Saturday in the Las Vegas Bowl as year number one for Billy Napier at Florida will officially come to an end and then all eyes point to next Wednesday, the December early signing day with that let's bring on will miles you get him at readandreaction.com he's also part of the gators breakdown podcast will how you doing doing all right looking forward to the bowl game we only get 13 of these every year so it's it's uh it's nice to have one more and then we'll all get a little bit of a break for those of us who work in this space yeah there's no question will and, and certainly we're going to spend a lot of time on what to expect next wednesday with the recruiting class, I want to talk about the portal with you, but they do play a football game on Saturday. I don't know what to expect. Jack Miller making his first career start. We know they're going to be without a ton of guys. Uh, what's your expectation going to Las Vegas on Saturday? I mean, obviously Florida's a 10.5-point underdog, so you look at it and say winning the game would be nice. I think the expectation is that the guys are going to go out there and play hard. And if you think about the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago where Florida had a lot of guys defect and then things just sort of fell apart at that point for Dan. And so I think people want to see that that cultural shift has occurred. And so the team playing hard, guys like Javon Dexter, who have come back, even though they've declared for the NFL, are coming back and playing in this one. I think that that speaks well to the staff and speaks well to what people are expecting to see. Well, we haven't seen Jack Miller throw a pass in a Gator uniform. I think he's thrown 14 career passes in college what can we anticipate from jack miller on saturday 
I mean, I think if you look at his high school stats, if you look at what he did at Ohio State, he's not a guy like Anthony Richardson who's going to blow you off the field with, or you know, with with his physical skills. But what you hope is that he's going to be able to make the easy play. And I think one of the things that was frustrating this year for Florida fans is Anthony Richardson often did not make the easy play. So those three straight three and outs to start the second half against Florida State were sort of offset by all of the explosive stuff that happened in the first quarter. I think the idea is, and the hope is, is that Miller's going to be more consistent, but he's going to be less spectacular, which means he's going to need a lot of help from his running game. But I do think that running game is going to set up some play action in a way that it probably couldn't set it up under Anthony Richardson because of his inconsistencies throwing the ball. So I think you're going to gain a little bit on the consistency side. You're going to lose quite a bit on the explosiveness side. And really, this one's going to come down to is Florida able to run the ball without Anthony Richardson being a significant portion of that running game. You get Will Miles at readandreaction.com. He's also part of the Gators Breakdown podcast. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, so regardless of what happens on Saturday, again, we hope for a good contest for Florida, knowing they're going to be without a lot of guys. Next Wednesday, high school uh, recruiting classes begin taking shape. I've been surprised by the December signing period, Will, since it started. I didn't realize so many kids would sign so early, but probably, what, 90%, 85-90% of the hay will be in the barn after next week. There'll be a handful that wait till February, but next Wednesday is kind of it now. Everybody takes advantage of this December signing period. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much been the way it's been for the past couple of years where where you end up ranked at the end of December when, when early signing day is over is where you're going to end up overall for the class. So if you want to know how Florida's 2023 class is going to look, you're going to know basically the minute the early signing period starts because that's where a large percentage of these guys are going to be committing. And it makes sense, right? It's a deadline. And you think about name, image, and likeness, and the negotiations that may be going on behind the scenes. It's a deadline for the players to set for these guys And what you wouldn't want to do is necessarily wait and wait and wait and then see all of a sudden everybody's purses have sort of shriveled up because there's nothing left. And so NIL, I think, only adds to the fact that you would have this early deadline be the important deadline because you don't want to be one of those guys who ends up sort of, you know, (laughs) playing, playing musical chairs and then ending up with no place left to sit. So everybody's going to establish that, especially the high level recruits. And this is the most important time of the year for recruiting. Um, It's changed. Obviously it used to be February, but now it's December and there's just no going back on that one. Let's get into Jaden Rashada. He was bumped up to a five star. I saw on 24 seven dot com yesterday. I'm not sure how big a deal that is. I guess it makes him the first five star uh, since Jeff Driscoll, right in 2011 at the quarterback position for Florida uh, Rashada being a five-star coming in, clearly the highlight of this class, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the highest-ranked one, but he's also at the most important position on the field, which is, I think, the thing. You know, obviously, um, Florida made some news, I think it was last week, with DJ Lagway, the five-star 2024 quarterback who committed. What that means now is Florida has two quarterback prospects. Uh, since 2000, Florida signed 18 guys in the top 300, and two of the top nine are now in uh, are now uh, you know committed to Billy Napier. So from the standpoint, if you've been disappointed with Florida's quarterback situation over the last few years, whether it was Treon Harris or whether it was Richardson or whether it was Austin Appleby or whether it was Luke Del Rio, you now have two guys who profile as you know probably having a 25 to 35 percent shot at becoming a star at the position. Now that still means they have to hit. 
or it means you got to bring in guys beyond those two. But but flipping flipping Rashada from Miami was a big deal, not just from an optics perspective, but because if you're going to be an elite team and you're not necessarily going to recruit at the exact same level as Alabama and Georgia, you're going to have to have a superior quarterback. And, you know, look, if Georgia keeps running out guys like Stetson Bennett, you're going to have an opportunity to get them every once in a while if you've got a guy who can go out there and put up 40 or 45 points, irrespective of what defense he's playing against. And these guys, Rashada and Lagway, specifically give Florida hope that that may be something that could happen in the near future. Well, I, I don't know about Rashada. We'll see about 2023. We're going to get to the transfer portal here in a moment. But we saw this past year, right? Shamar James, true freshman, came right in and played. Kamari Wilson, true freshman, came right in and contributed and played. Among guys that are committed to this class, among guys that will enroll and be ready for spring ball, who are two or three guys that could come in and potentially play right out of the gate in September? Yeah, I think the guys, I think the first place you look is wide receiver. So you've got Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson, both top 300 guys, really even top 100 guys who are going to be coming in there. And you think about it, Ricky Pearsall probably going to be a holdover, but Justin Shorter's already gone. And just Florida was really, really thin at the wide receiver position this year. You got Dejon Reynolds has a big game against Vanderbilt, and he leaves as well. So really, you got Pearsall, you got Caleb Douglas. And then who else at that wide receiver position? So I think Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson are going to probably contribute pretty quickly. The other thing is Roderick Kearney, the flip from Florida State on the offensive line. He's an interior offensive lineman. You think about what Florida is losing in terms of Osiris Torrance going to the NFL. Obviously, guys in all an All-American first team, not just All-SEC. And you're going to have to replace him. And Kearney is someone who's probably going to get in that rotation pretty quickly. One of the reasons he flipped is because Napier and his reputation for offensive linemen. And we've seen what Napier can do with three-star offensive linemen there at Louisiana. He's turned them out to the NFL. So the question is, when he's got a guy that he targeted was specifically able to flip from a rival school, are you going to get contributions from him? And then the other place I think you look is Isaiah Nixon, who's sort of an edge rusher and a linebacker. Um, or Jaden Robinson, one of those two. Florida's going to be be really thin at linebacker with Amari Bernie and Ventral Miller both leaving, and then you got Shamar James. But who else is there? You got Derek Wingo, but there really aren't there really isn't a whole lot of depth at the linebacker position. DeWan Black was kicked off the team as well, so I would look at Isaiah Nixon specifically at that edge rush sort of you know linebacker hybrid outside linebacker with James playing more of the inside Ventral Miller role. Um, as the season progresses next year. Final moments here with Will Miles, readandreaction.com. You also get him as part of the Gators Breakdown podcast. All right, Will, let's kind of take these in sections. Let's begin. Guys that are committed to Florida that are still looking and that maybe there are question marks about going into next Wednesday. Who do Gator fans need to be concerned about could leave here in the final days? Yeah, I mean, I think the guys you got to be concerned about are – Guys like Jakeem Jackson was somebody that you might have been concerned about before, but uh, you know Miami was pushing him pretty hard, but he's pretty much locked it up. He went on an official this week to Florida. Uh, probably not going to see him flip. Dijon Johnson was a former Ohio State commit, also getting quite a bit of attention from uh, from, from them as well. And then Andy Jean um, is a wide receiver. I already talked about Mizell and Wilson. Jean's third on that list, and so you know, he's a guy who's from Miami down in that area. Um, really, it's interesting. This cycle and and really ever since NIL has come into effect, Florida's had to fend off the hurricanes more than anybody else for some of these guys who, who've come down there. You think about Myoga and, and originally Rashada even committed to Miami as well. So that's the school that you're really looking at if you're looking at who's competing with Napier for some of these guys who are already on the roster. You know, same question, guys that could flip 
to Florida. I've heard the D lineman from Kissimmee Osceola, who's committed to UCF, potentially could flip. Uh, we know we're waiting for a couple of other guys, um, you know, non-committed guys like a Jordan Hall here in the city of Jacksonville out of Westside High School, but guys that Florida is trying to flip here at the 11th hour. Yeah, I mean, Walker is probably the top guy. I mean, he's ranked 112th overall, a four-star defensive tackle. And anybody who saw Florida play against the run this year understands why Florida wants defensive tackles. You know, they're, they're bringing in guys like, uh, like Caleb Banks, who's a transfer from Louisville, but really they want to build through high school and, and Walker is a big part of that. Now I think he was here on an official this past week. The expectation was he was going to pop. And so, you know, it's a little bit fuzzy as to whether he's going to stay committed to USC because of that. And then you've got guys like, uh, like Jaden Platt who were originally committed to Stanford. I don't know if he's actually decommitted since they've gone through some coaching changes there, but Platt is a tight end. And you think about the tight end room that Napier has signed over the past couple of years. I mean, you've got Tony Livingston, who was a gray shirt. Then you've got Hayden Hansen and Arliss Boardingham, who didn't play at all at the tight end position. And they don't have anybody on the board at tight end. So you think about a place where they're really trying to bring in a high-level guy. And Platt specifically is ranked 234th overall, a four-star out of Hazlitt, Texas. So, you know, look, it's tough when you're competing with Stanford. But at the same time, I think from a football perspective, you can tell a lot of stuff to a tight end in this particular offense, and especially the early playing time that you're going to get. Given how often Napier would like to use tight ends, he just hasn't had the personnel. He hasn't had the personnel to be able to run his two tight end offense this year. Um, and he's going to try to fix that with a guy like Platt. All right, well, when you look at the quarterback room moving forward, uh, Anthony Richardson's declared for the draft. The Jalen Kitna situation, he's off the team. You know, you even go back, Emory Jones transferred out. Carlos Dario Wilson transferred out. There was the Marcus Stokes situation where he got his scholarship pulled. So that's five quarterbacks in the last eight or nine months that left that were either coming in or already at Florida. They got two scholarship guys, Max Brown, Jack Miller, we know Jaden Rashad is coming in. I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying the starting quarterback for Florida in Salt Lake City on Labor Day weekend in 2023 is probably not on the roster right now. I know they had the quarterback from Wisconsin in for a visit out of the transfer portal. What are you hearing as far as the quarterbacks right now? Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of buzz when Leary from NC State um, decided to enter the transfer portal that he might be a target. Certainly Grayson McCall, I think, from uh, Coastal Carolina entered yesterday. There's been some discussion about Mertz. None of those guys really excite me that much, so I I'm not sure exactly who they're going to go for. I, I think they're probably going to be out of the – um, the Anthony Richardson prototype. Like they're not looking for a guy to come in and just be incredibly explosive. They're going to look for a guy who can come in and consistently run their offense. I think that's why you think about, you know, a, a guy like McCall or a guy like Leary and say, okay, this is someone that, that we're going to want to have on there. They're also really high on Max Brown. And I think there are reasons to believe that he might actually be a pretty good quarterback given some of his high school t statistics. So, you know, I, I think they're going to they're going to bring in a transfer quarterback just from a depth perspective. But depending upon how Miller plays and depending upon the development of Brown, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that they're going to bring in a transfer other than just from a depth perspective that you want more than three guys on your roster at that position. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, I mean, are they going to bring in a guy to start for a year? Or are they just going to take their lumps with a brand new guy and potentially give Rashada the ability to fight with Brown for the starting position? If I were them, that's what I would do. But, uh, 
you know, I, I think I think they're going to try to bring in a veteran and sort of limp it along. But I wouldn't. I think the starter in Salt Lake next year, if they do that, may be different than the starter in Jacksonville when they play Georgia, because I think they're going to try to accelerate bringing a guy like like Rashada along next year if they have the opportunity to do so. It's been a fascinating off season already, and the off season really hasn't even begun until after the bowl game on Saturday. Will Miles, readandreaction.com. You also get him as part of the Gators Breakdown podcast. Will, always appreciate the time, man. If we don't talk beforehand, have a happy holidays, and we'll chat again soon, man. Thank you. All right, you too. Thanks so much. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yeah, yeah. On YouTube today, on the 1010XL YouTube channel, 1010XL Facebook, 1010XL Twitter. It was my turn at Guggen Hoops. If you haven't seen any of those episodes, they are a lot of fun. Kind of like Hackers High School Football Tour. We're touring different high schools now on the hardwood. We're playing some of the best area basketball talent we have here in Northeast Florida. Instead of playing horse, we're playing them at Guggen. G-O-O-G-A-N. And thank you to everybody out at Rebalt High School for having me out earlier this week. Caleb Williams, a junior guard out there at Rebalt. Uh, unbelievably nice young man, first and foremost. I've had a couple of opportunities uh, to talk with Caleb now. Really enjoy those conversations. But Denmark, he gave me the beating. Yeah, on... we got some stuff to talk about. Yeah, look, you know what's funny? Um, well, it's not funny. My game is pathetic right now. Uh, so that's certainly not funny. When I was in fourth grade, I won a three-point shootout in a Kmart parking lot in Tallahassee, Florida. And because of that, that took me to Pat Kennedy's basketball camp in Tallahassee because I thought I might have a little something, maybe a Tim Legler or a Steve Kerr kind of player. Lee Humphreys. Lee, uh, yeah, maybe Lee Humphrey. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of random three-point guys that really couldn't do a whole lot else, although Lee Humphrey had a little bit else to his game. But I uh, enjoyed my time at the Pat Kennedy basketball camp when I was, what, nine, ten years old. That morphed into other competitions. And then when I got here to Jacksonville and I went to DuPont in sixth grade and then Mandarin Middle in seventh and eighth, I became very apparent very quickly that basketball was not in the cards for me moving forward. Now, if I would have played Caleb Williams in Guggen when I was 10, back in fourth grade, I might have had a better chance because I could drill the three at that point. Well, and you would probably be able to get the ball above the rim when you were 10. Yeah, that's true. It was rough. Now, granted, I told you this. Before Monday, I don't think I had shot a basketball in five years, which is also sad. Uh, I just haven't gone out there. Although, now that my son is three years old, uh, it'll be time sooner rather than later to get a basketball hoop at the house. So maybe my my three-point uh, prowess will return. But again, uh, Mia O'Brien, Graham Marsh, the chief, all our 1010XL um, guys and gals that work on those videos. The high school thing is so important to us, so important to me. I mean, good grief. I've done Friday Night Lights now for 16 years and adding things like this, shining more of a light on basketball in the area. I know E.T. has done one. Denny Thompson has done one. I've done one. I think we have a few more episodes to go of Guggen Hoops. 
It wouldn't surprise me at all if something materializes with the baseball high school athletes at some point. So we love it, and we'll continue to bring you things like that on the 1010XL social media platforms. All right, there's a lot going on. Uh, We're past halftime here on Hacker After Dark on a Friday night. We're with you until 10 o'clock. Speaking of social media, we're streaming on social media this evening. You can watch the show up until 10 o'clock on YouTube. Just go to the 1010XL YouTube channel. We're there every night. Streaming Hacker After Dark. Also on Twitter. At 1010XL on Twitter. Streaming there until 10 o'clock. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, Jason Cole. National NFL writer for many, many years. A pro football Hall of Fame voter. We'll talk Trevor Lawrence. We'll talk Jags, Cowboys. And a little bit of the future of the AFC South with Jason Cole coming up in less than 10 minutes at the bottom of the hour, about 9.35. <coughs> Excuse me, Sean Devaney of the uh, of Heavy.com will join us as the NBA, hard to believe most teams in the NBA, about 30 games in. We're getting near the halfway point of the NBA season. So Sean Devaney of Heavy.com will join us to kind of look back on the first uh, two months or so of the year, LeBron James and the Lakers, Steph Curry and the Warriors, the big storylines <coughs> to this point. Well, no, Denmark, I'm suffering here, man. I hope Jason Cole and uh, Sean Devaney know that I'm battling through. I don't know if you noticed this, but I didn't really have a voice the last two nights. Some people might think that's a good thing, but I <laughs> battled through, right? I battled through, you know. I think of Willis Reed coming out of Madison Square Garden, limping, but getting out there. You know, Jack Youngblood playing with a broken leg in the National Football League. Guys playing with ACL injuries and ankle and shoulder. You know, the tough guys. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the hacker, right? Now, is it worse than this right here, though? Kansas State (laughs) All-American freshman Michael Beasley. You know what? (laughs) Where in the hell did you find that? That was Beasley years ago. Michael Beasley going to the draft. That was well, that had to be a decade ago. Dude, that was like 2008, 2009. Wow, yeah, I had a frog in my throat oh, then too. Oh, my God. But when you think of the tough competitors in sports, you know, you think of like all those guys that I mentioned. But us in sports radio, we battle through too. There's no lozenges in here. There's no cough drops. I'm not even sure there's a cough button. We push through on Hacker After Dark. We play injured as well. So I hope you'll bear with me, but I'm battling for you, the good men and women of the late night radio crowd here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Michael Beasley. Man, I was a young puppy back then doing that. That was a nighttime show, too, that I remember somebody here uh, found that, and they played the heck out of that for about a week after that happened. Thank you for bringing that out of the archives, Denmark. Here for you. Appreciate that. Coming up next, Jason Cole, National NFL writer, bottom of the hour, Sean Devaney, talking NBA. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us on a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Cowboys, Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL, probably the biggest December game We've had around here in December in quite some time. Let's talk Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, and preview the Dallas game with Jason Cole, a longtime writer 
for the National Football League. You can see him on OutKick. He's the author of many uh, very successful books as well, and he's a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. The guy does it all. Jason, how we doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, Ron? Jason, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. know it's a busy time of year for you. And, uh, boy, the Jaguars, look, the last time you and I talked before the season, we didn't know what to expect. There's been a lot of downs. There's been some ups. But all of a sudden you look, and here we are in mid-December, and Jacksonville's still in this thing. Jason, what's been your thought from a mile-up view on the Jaguar season to this point? I mean, it's about – this is kind of a perfect first season under Doug Peterson, right? They're, they've made some strides. You've seen a lot of development out of Trevor Lawrence, who we're going to talk about in a second. Um, yeah, there's some, been some you know kind of ugly games and some ugly stretches. But I, I thought, you know, if you look at that, you know, losing streak of what five games that they had, they weren't out of any of those games. There were a couple of plays from flipping those games. You flip a couple of those games, you're not five and eight. All of a sudden you're talking about you're seven and six. And you're feeling really good about this season. Now, you know, that's asking a lot. But they've been, what have they been blown out maybe once by Detroit? You know, they, and Detroit's, you know, on a roll right now. So I, I, I see this as they, they played some very competitive football in this first year. And a lot of development out of Trevor Lawrence. This is a team that's very much in the right direction. You wish this all would have happened a year ago, but. You can't go back in time. You know, this is a this is a really good first year under a very competent, you know, smart head coach with a supremely talented quarterback. Jason, there's this old football saying, I'm sure you've heard it several times during your career. You lose big, you lose small, you then win small, you win big. And certainly the Jaguars have lost big for years. They've been blown out, you know, year after year. But this year they started losing small, like you said, five losses in a row, all by, I believe, eight points or less. Then they started winning small with that win over the Raiders, the win over Baltimore. And then last week, Jason, they won big in Nashville. So, boy, it looks like the Jaguars might kind of be following that saying a little bit. A little bit. I mean, it, I always look at that as kind of an overgeneralization, especially in these days where – I don't want to say that games, you know, I don't want to give the implication that games are fixed, right? But the the talent is so close that games come down to one score games a lot. And if you look at the success of, say, the New England Patriots over over a 20 year stretch of time, the key during that stretch of time was they were really good at one score games. Consistently, they were, I think they won probably 58 to 60 percent of their one score games, and that that changes your season around because so many of these games are so close and so many rosters are so close. And, but, but once you start to win those close games, yeah, you start to develop the confidence that, yeah, you can go ahead and, and blow some teams out once in a while, which takes you know less stress on your team, right? You want, you want to be able to win like that so that not every game is mentally exhausting um, at, at the end of the season. But, you know, first you got to win those close games. I mean, you look at the Raiders, they're losing those close games this year, and that's made them kind of go backwards, in my in my view, from where the kind of progress that they're making a year ago um, under Rich Basaccia as head coach after he took over for John Gruden. Josh McDaniels, unfortunately, has gone backwards a little bit now. 
we'll see what kind of changes are made in with the Raiders. But, um, you know, with the, when it comes to the Jags, you know, you're playing competitively in close games, starting to feel some confidence. And then if you can flip and turn one of these games into a blowout, then, you know, that makes life a lot easier. Jason Cole has covered the NFL for many years. You can read him now at OutKick, and he's with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, you brought up Trevor Lawrence. Let's get in to his game. And look, I mean, since he returned from London in that awful performance against the Broncos, 10 touchdowns and no interceptions. And on Sunday in Nashville, maybe his best game is a Jaguar, 368 Three touchdowns through the air, another one on the ground. I mean, the guy's throwing 20 touchdowns and six picks, and he's completing 66% of his passes. What is going so right for him right now, Jason? Well, he's surrounded by, I mean, he's surrounded by, you know, better players. You know, you get Kirk and you get some other guys where, you know, make the job easier. You know, like any quarterback will tell you. I'd, I'd rather throw it five yards and let a guy run for 15. That makes that makes life really simple, right? Um, you got a, you know a little bit better talent around, and that helps. Um, and I think most importantly, you have a competent system, right? You've got competent people saying, "This is what you do best. We're going to put you in that position. Um, you know, we're not going to make the game you know too hard for you right now, and we're going to let you." you know, progress and develop the way that you should have developed in that, again, in that first year, you know, you can't go back, but you know, all he really did in the first year was just get on the field and get a feel for the speed of the game that has value to it. But there wasn't a lot of development because he wasn't, you know, being professionally coached as I would like to say. And he was, the organization wasn't being run professionally there were far too many distractions a year ago. There aren't those kind of silly distractions that, you know, that existed a year ago. Jason, do you buy into the philosophy that a team needs to learn how to win? Because that's been another popular saying here this year is all they've known is losing and it takes a while to learn how to win these games. Uh, there's something to that. It's believe you know. It's like it's all about that confidence to know you can go out and play, and and to not question and you know think too much. It's just look playing any sport, you know, whether that is little league on up to professional. Okay, is knowing what you're doing and allowing your athletic ability to then take over. If you know what you're going to do, you let you let your athletic ability take over. If you have that kind of confidence and you're not thinking while you're playing, you're generally in, in good sh in good shape. You know, it's the people who think when they're playing. You're supposed to think and practice in the meetings and, you know, have the plan ready to go by the time you go play so that you can just play free. Um, you know, and it, that is what you're looking for. That I don't think has existed for the the Jaguars for a long time. Along with it, just you know, like they weren't very talented. Now they're talented. You know, they got some guys who are real players on this team um, who are going to be in the league for a long time. Whether they become superstars or not, you know, I don't see any superstar on their offense outside of Trevor Lawrence right now. Maybe Travis Etienne gets there at some point. But I don't think there's a superstar receiver. You know, maybe Evan Ingram becomes, 
you know, a better tight end, you know, along the way. I, you know, I think he's kind of what he is, right? So I think they need to still go out and get a superstar receiver somewhere along the line to help progress the offense and maybe some more depth at running back and maybe even a second tight end, depending on how they want to play. You know, I know Peterson's big on having two tight ends and being able to use that flexibility when he can. They don't really have that right now. So depending on what kind of weapons you get around Trevor Lawrence, and I would just keep feeding Trevor Lawrence more and more weapons to make the job easier, just like what Indianapolis did when they had Peyton Manning or what Denver did with Peyton Manning. Keep giving them weapons. Keep giving them guys they can really play. Um, you know, as long as you follow that philosophy, you'll do fine. Final moments here with Jason Cole. You can read his coverage at Outkick. He's covered the NFL for many, many years. Jason, final, uh, I guess, Jaguar topic, and it's not so much 2022. Look, the fans, they're, they were two back with four to go, right? That's what they'll tell you. And maybe something works out where, I mean, that Titan game in Week 18 might be for the division this year. But to me... I'm looking ahead to 2023, and I see a Houston team that is in disarray, rebuild, but still disarray. Indianapolis, good grief. What kind of offseason are they going to have? And, Jason, that Tennessee team, they looked old, man, on Sunday. They looked slow. They got got problems up there. They just fired their GM last week. I got to tell you, when these preseason publications come out in May and June, I'd be shocked if Jacksonville is not picked to win this division next year. Uh, I would say that that's, you know, look, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who say Jacksonville will win the division next year. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with that any bit. Um, I would also say Tennessee, look, they're pretty well coached. And I don't think that Derrick Henry has slowed down that much. And he's centered to what their offense is, right? Um, I just think that they, you know, they tore down their offense a little too much on the outside, on the outside receivers, whereas you wanted to have continuity with for Tannehill, who's, is really just kind of a mid-level starting quarterback. Um, so Tennessee, I think, is still going to be tough. Um, you know, and, and is not, is not going to be an easy out overall. You know, on Sunday they were, but I don't think that that's you know they're I don't think they're going to go away. But certainly Houston and Indianapolis, I mean, they're both going to be picking quarterbacks, right, and trying to figure out how to rebuild their teams and hoping that those quarterbacks work out. What Jacksonville has is, you know, the quarterback is at least a good player. Is he going to become the superstar that you think? I think it's trending that way, that, you know, he's going to live up to the hype of a number one overall pick. And if he does, you're good for 10 years, right? You're just, you know, like the next decade is already, and you just have to follow through again on a plan to make sure that you surround him with good people, pick good defensive guys, have everything have everything in place and you'll be right there every single year you know just depending on what the hiccups look like you know which every every team suffers so yeah i like where jacksonville's at this is what should be happening for a team that had the number one overall pick and got a guy like trevor lawrence in that particular year this is playing out nicely it's a little slower than you wanted again because last year was wasted but you're not that far behind Hey, Jason, final question. You're certainly familiar with the Jacksonville area. We haven't had a big game in December around here in a long time. Dallas hasn't been here in 16 years, one of the quirks of the schedule when you play games in London. The last Dallas game 
here was moved to London. So there'll be thousands of Cowboy fans. There'll be thousands of Jaguar fans. That'll be one of the better atmospheres Jacksonville's had for a home game in quite some time on Sunday, albeit it appears to be a pretty tough matchup for the Jaguars. Yeah, but I'll say this. I think you can kind of punch Dallas in the mouth a little bit. I'd be, I'd be interested to see what Doug comes up with. I, you know, I love Doug, and, and he knows that sometimes you just have to come out and find some way to do something to your opponent like that 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 says, "Hey, we're here. We're planting a flag, and you're going to have to you're going to have to compete with us." And Dallas has this way of getting ahead of themselves. I, I say it all the time, and, I, and I'll live by this statement: the Dallas Cowboys, as soon as they start to play decently well, you know, you know, where are they ten and three now. Um, you know, they get on a little roll. They all of a sudden think, okay, um, can we print our Super Bowl tickets now? Can we, you know, set up our hotel room now for the Super Bowl and stuff like that? Like, they get so far ahead of themselves. And that's the mentality of, like, Jerry Jones to me. You know, like, Jerry just assumes that we're going to be in the Super Bowl. It's like, wait a second, you got all these steps you got to do and all these games you have to play before you even get there, right? But they just assume it. And last week when they played against Houston or, you know, couple days ago when they played against Houston that was a telltale game you know they've been mopping up with some teams recently just taking people apart and then all of a sudden they play a team that has one victory and they go to the mats with them in the fourth quarter Jacksonville's way better than Houston if if Doug comes in and says hey let's let's find a way to get a quick score on them or let's run a blitz and, and punch you know Dak you know, Dak Prescott in the mouth a little bit. And I don't mean literally, but, you know, hit him hard or, or do something that messes with their minds. I, I'd love to see how this game goes because I, I think that I, I wouldn't mind being Jacksonville saying, I guess you have to beat the Cowboys. I, I, I'm not afraid of them. It'll be interesting because if Jacksonville does beat Dallas and Tennessee loses at the Chargers on Sunday afternoon, Jacksonville would control their destiny with three games to go for an AFC South championship. <laughs> Hard to believe. Jason Cole has covered the NFL, like I said, for many years. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jason, thank you for the time. Happy holidays, and we'll talk in 2023. Likewise. Be good. Thanks, Brian. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We are in the middle part of December Hard to believe the NBA is already two months old into the regular season. In fact, most teams are around the 30-game mark already. With that, let me bring in my friend Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. He's covered the NBA for many years, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Sean, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty well, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Sean, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And all right, kind of a broad overview. We had you on... I think opening night back in mid-October, mm -hmm. two months in to the season, uh, things that have caught your eye uh, to this point, obviously it looks like the East is wide open and it looks like, well, the Lakers are an interesting situation out West. Yeah, you know, uh, I think some of the teams that have struggled have been uh, big surprises. Um, Golden State, to be where they are, you know, they had a big win Saturday uh, against uh, uh, against Boston, but they're starting this road trip uh, and just started with the loss. And, uh, you know, for the defending champs at this point to be uh, under 500 uh, with the bench that looks like a mess right now, 
you know, that's that's certainly been uh, a pretty big surprise uh, right there. And, 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 you know, a couple of teams in the East. I mean, Miami, don't forget, was the number one seed last year. They were in the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7. Uh, Jimmy Butler, three-pointer away from being in the NBA Finals. They've really, really struggled, uh, especially offensively. Um, and, uh, and Chicago uh, has been uh, – uh, they have not looked anything like the team they were uh, last year. So, you know, you have these teams that, that you kind of expected to be uh, contenders, uh, and, and that's probably the big thing to me is that, uh, uh, you know, there's been some real disappointment so far in the league. As an Orlando Magic fan, every time Chicago loses, I have, like, the Grinch smile <laughs> on my face because the Magic own their first-round pick. Uh, Billy Donovan still very popular in these parts, Sean. I know he signed a – a contract extension that wasn't reported last year until a couple of weeks ago. But my goodness, with all that talent, the fact that they're struggling, is he in any trouble there? No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, that is an organization that, you know, they've got a new front office, but uh, uh, but just organizationally, uh, the Reinsdorfs, um, and, and it's true with the White Sox as well, they're very, very patient when, when they make a hire. Uh, they, they don't usually, uh, you know, dump those contracts early. So uh, I, I don't think he's in any trouble right now. Um, you know, certainly – you got to look at the the, the roster uh, for what's gone wrong there, and and one of the things that happened is is the Vucevic trade, uh, you know, and and, and that that um, you know at the time looked like Chicago was trying to make a move uh, to become uh, competitive, uh, but you know you can you can certainly make an argument that it's made them less so that that you know Vucevic's uh, defense and his pretty sharp decline once he left Orlando has been one of the reasons that uh, uh, the Chicago's really struggled. Oh, there's no question. Sean Devaney, heavy.com, here talking the NBA. Orlando won that trade. I mean, if, if yeah. Wendell Carter can ever stay healthy, because they got Wendell Carter, who's phenomenal when he's played. Franz Wagner's been very good. And the Magic also have another first-round pick. We're on Orlando now, so let's continue talking about them. Well, they have something in Paolo Bancaro. That guy, Sean, uh, when he's healthy, too, he's been very, very good. Yeah, and that's that's going to be the big thing probably for him uh, in his career, is staying healthy. Um, you know, that's that, that that's something to keep an eye on. But certainly, uh, yeah, you know, they 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 pulled a surprise when they picked him number one. Don't forget, everybody had uh, Jabari Smith, and 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 you know that that really looked like uh, where they were going. Um, and 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 most around the league uh, assumed that's what it was going to be. Uh, but in the end. Uh, you know, it it, it was not. <laughs> they went with where they went, Ben Carroll, uh, and it's been obvious uh, uh, even just 25 games in that uh, uh, that they made the right choice. Smith has had his struggles, uh, and Ben Carroll's when he's been on the floor has really been fantastic. Sean Devaney, Abby dot com. All right, you look around. Well, the Eastern Conference, boy, it looks wide open, Sean. There looks like a handful of teams that legitimately could win the East. I mean, you go from Milwaukee, obviously, Cleveland, Philadelphia, um, Boston, certainly, uh, with what they've done so far. And then even team Indiana has been a really pleasant surprise. You talk about Miami. Uh, boy, the East appears to be as wide open as maybe we've seen it in quite some time. 
Yeah, you know, I, I I think the Bucks and the Celtics are probably uh, a notch ahead of everybody else, you know, from what we've seen through the first uh, uh, 25, 30 games here. Um, you know, they, they they seem to be the two uh, uh, the two heavy favorites. Uh, you know, certainly the way the Celtics started, they just came off a road trip uh, through the Western Conference uh, and, 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 you know, had the, the loss to Golden State and then uh, uh, got clobbered by the Clippers. But, you know, a four and two road trip for them. So, uh, you know, the, the, certainly the Celtics and, uh, and you know, Milwaukee has just sort of been plugging along, doing what they've been doing for the last few years. You can't count them out. Uh, so, you know, it seems like those two teams, uh, Cleveland's been a good story. I don't think that they are, 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 are quite ready to be a real contender. I think the team that, that you really have to look at as a dark horse is Brooklyn. You know, considering the start they had, they were terrible to start the year. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the controversy going back to the Kevin Durant uh, trade request, you know, over the last 10 games, they've been they've been really outstanding. You know, they played terrible, terrible defense to start the year. Uh, they have been in the top 10 uh, for the last uh, uh, for the last 10 games. Uh, and you know, they've, they've really looked like a much better team, sort of what you would expect, judging by the, 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 the talent on that roster. So, you know, that said, you know, Philadelphia has been good. Um, uh, you know, certainly you mentioned Cleveland. Uh, but, you know, I think, to me, Brooklyn's probably the team that would most scare me if I were the Celtics uh, uh, or the Bucks. Sean, when you go out west, we talked about Golden State. What about the Lakers? Uh, they have gotten on a little bit of a run, although they had a couple of hiccups as of late. But they just don't appear to be a very good basketball team the Russell Westbrook situation um are they going to do something at the trade deadline or before to to try to make something of this season you know so last really the last two years they've been in a situation where uh Anthony Davis and LeBron James have not been healthy and they've been able to say okay well you know we we, we struggled this year but uh but but, but we weren't 100%. They've been 100%, you know, for the most part. Uh and uh even when those guys have been on the floor together where they've had their whole crew, uh they have just not looked like a team that can really be a contender. They they've had some good moments uh and and certainly they've looked like a team that could win uh you know, 43, 44 games, uh, but but not anything like uh, you know what was expected from this bunch. Uh, so you know, there's, there's, they have looked better, but you know, there's still a ceiling on how good you can say this group is. Um, you know, I, if they were going to do something like something major, you'd have to think they would have done it by now. You know, they've been very protective. The, the, the assets that they have are basically this 2027 pick and this 2029 pick. Uh, because they've dealt away so many of their picks, they don't have uh, anything else to really work with. So, you know, they've got these two picks, and a lot of teams think they'll be valuable because they think the Lakers won't be very good then. Um, but uh, the Lakers have been very protective of them. Uh, and, and I think around the league, the feeling is, look, if they haven't dealt them by now, I don't know what's going to make them all of a sudden, uh, you know, open up to trading uh, one of these picks uh, uh, in January when it might be too late. So, um, yeah, you know, there's the, they've looked at a lot of things and there's been a lot of talk about the Lakers and they've been involved in a lot of stuff. But, you know, it's it's getting to the point where if they haven't done it now, you have to wonder uh, if and when 
uh, they're going to actually do something with one of those. A couple of more for Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. He's one of our main NBA guys here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. <clears throat> Sean, you look at the West as a whole. Uh, what What's jumped out to you? Phoenix appears to be very good. New Orleans, certainly a pleasant surprise. Minnesota was looking very good until – Carl Anthony Towns went down recently. The West as a whole, Sean, what do you think? Yeah, you know, early on it looked like New Orleans was going to be one of the sneaky uh, uh, contenders out there. Uh, and now they're not really sneaky anymore. They're at the top of the conference. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a team that uh, really, when they're healthy, uh, they, they are as deep as anyone. I mean, they've been winning right now uh, with Zion back. Brendan Ingram hasn't been playing. Uh, when he gets healthy, uh, they've got a they, they've got a very solid uh, starting lineup, you know, with, with, with Zion, Brandon Ingram, uh, C.J. McCollum, guys like that. Uh, Valanciunas, uh, you know that's 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 a very good starting five, and then their bench is that's that's really been the big difference in them. They've been a uh, really really good bench, uh, so you know that's that's they're a team I think that uh, uh, that that other teams are now going to have to take seriously. So uh, you know they're they're definitely one of the big stories there, uh, and and like I said before, you know probably Golden State struggles uh, is the uh, that's 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 probably the the other thing that. Uh, that that has stood out. You know, Utah had that great start, but we've seen them sort of fade back a little bit. Um, you know, so I, yeah, you know, I think that uh, uh, that that the Pelicans have really been the team that uh, that has caught most of the attention uh, in the Western Conference. One thing that I'm going to look at because uh, I've been looking at it for uh, 16 years now, and that is whether the Kings uh, can actually get themselves into the playoffs. It's been an awful long time when I first started in this job uh, in the early 2000s. Since you know the uh, the, the Kings were such a uh, a powerhouse, and uh, uh, they haven't been in the playoffs in 16 years, so it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, uh, you know mount a run. And, and, and certainly they've had some good uh, uh, some good moments. So that, that that's another thing I keep an eye on. Yeah, Sabonis has been a beast out there for Sacramento, no question about that. Sean, leave us with this final question. I want to circle back to Orlando? We talked about Ben Caro. You look at the other young talent from Markel Foltz, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, Wagner. They just got to stay healthy, man. I mean, look, they've had seven and eight guys out at times this year, and that leads the mind to wander a little bit because we know the prize in June at next year's mm -hmm. draft. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. But Orlando has shown that when their guys actually play, they can play pretty well. It's just a matter of getting those guys on the court. Yeah, and that's 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 been a big challenge. Um, I don't think that they're uh, exactly dying to have everybody on the court at the same time. I mean, if they went through another tough year where they were at least showing some progress, uh, but you know, we're we're one of the top four teams or so uh, in the in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes uh, uh, with Scoot Henderson as as a pretty good uh, uh, you know secondary prize, then. Uh, you know that you'd have to consider it a, a pretty good year, consider considering where they are. Um, you know, we still haven't seen Jonathan Isaac. I'm curious about how you know what if he ever plays again, and 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 uh, uh, maybe plays well enough to at least have some trade value where they could get something from him. Uh, you know, they, yeah, just just up and down. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that roster. Very very young, of course. They've got plenty of cap space too. That could uh, make waves in, in in free agency if they wanted to. Uh, so, yeah, I think you've really got to like where the Magic are. But, yeah, they've got to stay healthy. 
Sean Devaney, heavy.com. He's one of our guys talking the NBA, and we absolutely love it. Sean, if we don't talk beforehand, happy holidays, and we'll talk in 2023, brother. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you to Sean Devaney, heavy.com, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark, talking NBA. Hard to believe the season two months old. Most teams are nearing game number 30, another, uh, what, couple of weeks, and we'll be at the halfway point of the NBA regular season. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Thank you guys for hanging out with us as always. Again, Sean Devaney of Heavy.com. Thank you to Will Miles, readandreaction.com. Also, the Gators Breakdown Podcast as Florida plays Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl tomorrow, the final game for year number one of Billy Napier there in Gainesville. We'll see how the Gators do. Again, Jack Miller, the starting quarterback for Florida tomorrow against a very good Oregon State team that is ranked in the top 15 in the country. Jason Cole, longtime reporter for the National Football League. You hear him now and see him now on OutKick. Appreciate Jason Cole for joining us as always tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And Leon Searcy, my buddy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him right here on Hacker After Dark. He likes the Jaguars to win on Sunday against Dallas. I wish I was there. And I hope I'm wrong. But I think at the end of the day, Dallas just a little too talented, a little too much. I like Dallas 27-23 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Either way, we will have the fifth quarter for you two hours after the Jaguars and Cowboys go final live from Perfect Rack Billiards and Murray Hill on Edgewood. We'll start two hours after the Jaguars and the Cowboys go final. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific weekend. I will talk to you Sunday night on the fifth quarter after the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Until then, Good night, Jacksonville.